From the pup tent on Brokeback Mountain, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, two men who wish they knew how to quit each other, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Wow, that's like a that's like a seven year old reference already. Can you believe that, Corey? To whom do we owe? That was brought to you by Chevelle Dixon. Thanks to him or her. Uh, you know, see that's funny because as it happens, Chevelle also provided our uh, our listener listener audio email thing that we're going to name at some point in this show. <laughs> our listener um, audio email thing. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hear that and we're gonna name it. We are going to later on it. in this show. We'll also, have some uh, some viewer uh, viewer mail. What's wrong with me? Listener That's mail. That's what I said last week. I know. I said viewer mail. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. When we're on television. That's which it. will never happen. Well, you know, we've had a lot of inquiries uh, actually about recommending Whitney Houston movies, and uh, the, the I'm still kind of blown away by the tragedy of that. Although I have to say that it, largely as a result of that, it wound up being an unexpectedly great uh, Grammy broadcast. I, I always have to work the Grammys. Yeah. I work at a major cable network. Yes. So I never get to actually see the Grammys, although I am working for them. at Not at them, but I am, yeah, you're, I'm in a related industry. You're in the mix. I'm in the mix, so I never actually see the show. But it's funny, because like Whitney Houston... It was a good show. It really was. You know, Whitney Houston, um, it's not like she wouldn't be on anybody's death pool. Yeah. Because she was troubled with drugs and whatnot, thanks to that idiot uh, husband yeah. of hers, ex-husband. Yeah. But yet, when she died, it wound up being a huge shock. It was. It was. It was, it was. it was gigantic. I, I couldn't believe it. Nobody could. You know, you just, you, 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 I think we all kind of, I think, I think there, there are people that we categorize, whether, when, anytime you hear about someone in the music industry or even the film industry who's troubled, there are those who you feel they're just going to go off the cliff and there's and just, there's no stopping them. Like, if I heard that Lindsay Lohan, you know, OD'd tomorrow, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. But then there are others where you, you somehow, you always hold out hope. You feel like they're going to turn it around. They can turn it around. And I think Whitney Houston was one of those where everybody just felt like she's just, she can turn it around. At some point, she'll turn it around. And she didn't. No, she didn't. She just I, didn't. Because I, ultimately, she, she was an addict. Yeah. I mean, it looks that it's way. It's so horrible. It's tragic. Oh, so horrible. But look, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, it, she becomes... A surprising one, but she becomes just another in a long line of performers who were addicts. And and it, it is, uh, as I have said to many people, it's becoming the the longest running bad joke of the last century. That you know this happens to celebrities and actors and you know artists. recording artists. It's just it's it's just unbelievable. But anyway, I don't know that you get a lot of like bankers. No. Like, in the 80s, you got a lot of these guys. I mean, cocaine was the big drug in the 80s. Yeah. But nowadays, it just seems like something about, the A, the artistic impulse, B, the, the uh, perils of being famous drive people to these excesses. Yeah. Well, people have asked, you know, recommend some Whitney Houston movies. And the funny thing is, she didn't, really, six. she didn't really make any movies. I mean, she, you know, I remember when she briefly showed up on Give Me a Break, because I was a huge fan of Give Me a Break back in the 80s. Um, I really was. I remember that's, when that's when terrible. I when I was an usher at the uh, Man's National Theater and Kari Michelson came in. I think I I just about collapsed. 
I was just uh, that was that like made my life at that point. I don't know you. I know, but uh, then of course ninety two she made the Bodyguard, which was an unexpected smash. I don't think anybody really anticipated that. It was kind of schmaltzy and sort of predictable. Really, and, at, the, at the end where he lifts her up, and yeah, you know, you've got to be kidding. But and and hardly it, it, hard, it, it, it did spawn her most famous song, which which was written and previously performed by Dolly Parton. That is true. And uh, you know she nailed it. And Dolly Parton always gave her all the credit in the world. But you know Lawrence Kasdan wrote that. And and Mick Jackson directed it, and it's hardly the best film that either of them has done. But, no, you know, I mean, although, Ellie... although but I'll say this, uh, you know, as, as gifted as Whitney Houston was, I don't know that she, it was her gift was necessarily uh, utilized no. to present the best material. No, I, I think a lot of her songs were, and this is this is above and beyond her voice. Yeah, because her voice was magnificent, but you know, she was a pop singer, and she wound up getting a lot of pop songs, and some of the pop songs were terrific, but. I think on balance, I don't know that she, you know, had the type of musical output quality-wise like a Diana Ross would have. Yeah. You know, Diana Ross is royalty. Whitney Houston, an amazing voice, very gifted, but I wish that sometimes there was a a bigger legacy of great songs. Not just great pop songs or or chart-topping pop songs, but great classic Diana Ross level, Aretha Franklin level songs and, I and agree. I, with her which is a shame because again it was she had such an amazing voice well waiting to exhale was you know her second big film and i really like waiting to exhale you know uh, direct people don't necessarily think of it but it was directed by forrest whitaker that is true and uh, i think it's a terrific film i really do i think there's a lot of great stuff in that and uh, she's very good in it 96 she made the preacher's wife which of course was a remake of the old bing crosby film and it, it, the, the bishop's wife and the reason why i was curious is because it was Denzel Washington, who's like my favorite of all time. Yeah. It was his kind of one of the only, if not the only, sort of lighter, yeah. comedic-y... Where, where he's not he, killing people? He's not killing people. And that's why <laughs> I'm like, if if Denzel can, can nail this, he can do anything. Yeah. But of course, he's Denzel, so he was fine. And then, of course, you know, she made the TV movie uh, Cinderella's, and she was a fairy godmother, and that was just an absolutely horrible, horrible film. Um, really a misfire. And then, you know, we're still waiting to see what Sparkle looks like. She's in the remake of Sparkle. Yeah, it's curious to and see. And that's going to uh, be interesting. Yeah, they're gonna, they're, I've heard they're moving that up Yeah, well, release. obviously that would make sense. The problem is that, you know, unfortunately in her later years, or at least in the 2000s, the thing that she was known most for was being Bobby Brown, yeah. which was the reality show. Which is sad. Which is very it's sad. It's a horrible way to go. Well, with that, on on that light note, um, uh, wait, hang on a second. Though. Now, are we being asked to recommend a, one? I'd say waiting kill? to exhale. Frankly, the bodyguard is like so obvious. You know, I'd recommend instead the bodyguard from Beijing, starring Jet Li, which is the uh, Hong Kong quasi remake. That's a much better film, but that doesn't have Whitney Houston in it. So I'm I'm going to go with waiting to exhale. I, I don't know what to, <laughs> there's so little to choose from. Is the bodyguard waiting to exhale? Preacher's wife. That's all I got to choose from. Yeah, there you go. I'll say the bodyguard. Okay. Because it's Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah. And it's got the song. There you go. And that song will always love you. So, you know, we, we've got a few things just to get out of the way real quick at the top here because this we is... We do nothing real quick here, Wade. Have you I not know. noticed that? Uh, it is not only Black History Month, but it is also Valentine's this week. And we have, you know, like, freaking the vow, the vow, $40 million. I don't have a Valentine's uh, this year, Wade, so can we please just get so, this over with? Yeah, we'll get this over with. Well, I'm going to start off uh, with uh, Storybook Treasures has the Valentine's collection featuring one zillion Valentines. This is one of those usual Storybook Treasures releases. That has a lot of cool little animated tidbits on it, and uh, this is cool. One Zillion Valentines is uh, is really, really 
really actually very sweet and very funny. Um, very nicely animated. I also quite liked Goggles, which has a terrific narration by Jeffrey Holder. Does that guy's voice ever get just any cooler? I feel very good about his voice. It's just cool. I feel very good about it's Seven really Up. It's really cool. Uh, also Seven on here, Up. He did the Seven Up. I know. I know. It's that great Caribbean voice. Uh, Letter to Amy is also on here. If you're uh, familiar with that, it's really, really sweet. Uh, Wilfred Gordon McDonald Partridge. Say that 50 times fast. Uh, this is really terrific uh, artwork. Really, really beautiful. All of these are just great kids' things. Like, I mean, it, they teach your kids great lessons. There's no no farting and no no... None of that juvenile crap in here. This is all like good storybook stuff. And then lastly, Will I Have a Friend? Ooh, isn't that sad? Uh, so this is really terrific. It's uh, you know great for kids, uh, great for adults too. Beautifully, beautifully animated. Really nice stuff. That's uh, the Valentine's Collection from Scholastic Storybook Treasures featuring one zillion Valentines. And uh, I, I give that a big, gigantic thumbs up. And then because we were talking about animated stuff, and I want to get this out of the way, we've got a couple other animated releases here. One from uh, collaboration between Manga and Anchor Bay. This is kind of a, uh, you know, not classic anime, but it sort of is like nouveau anime. And uh, it is called Redline, and it's pretty intense. Not at all anything to do with Valentine's. But uh, it, it's kind of the new direction that anime is taking, sort of in the uh, Aeon Flux era. And Aeon Flux isn't anime, it's like quasi-anime, but this is definitely worth checking out. Um, it's uh, sort of like anime Mad Max, to be honest. And uh, It's about it, a race. It's about a race. It's, yeah, it's, it's like cool. cross between Mad Max and um, Speed Racer. It's like, you know, next generation Speed Racer. And then we got this Russian thing called First Squad, The Moment of Truth, which is kind of like Russian anime. Which is pretty cool. Russia has its own, uh, you know, history of great animation, and um, this is, you know, this, is place, this takes place during World War Two, the early days of World War Two, which I thought was kind of an interesting. Uh, yeah, it is. It's 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 cool. It's like it's like cyberpunk Russian anime, and uh, it's you know a lot of Japanese uh, artists were involved in this, but it's you know it's like a Japanese Russian co-production, and it's definitely pretty cool. A lot of great artwork and. Uh, Quite visionary. Speaking of visionary Russians, and both of these are on Blu-ray, by the way, Redline and uh, First Squad. They look fantastic. And a lot of anime, older anime, doesn't look so good on Blu-ray. It's, it's, it's too sharp. It wasn't designed to sort of have the flaws exposed quite that, uh, that uh, exponentially. But these are really pretty sharp. Pretty damn sharp. I like them. I like Redline better. And speaking of uh, Russians, that friggin' Timur and Beck Mambatov, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Seriously. I don't know why you don't like that the that Abraham well, Lincoln all, vampire kid. It's funny. God, it I, I didn't I, I didn't see the trailer, but the idea is funny. I mean, go come watch on. the trailer. It, it's it knows it's ridiculous. It's freaking who's gonna pay money? Who's gonna go, hey, I got twelve bucks to blow? I don't know. Fifteen year olds. Well, what's it rated? Is it rated it can't be rated at all? Yeah, it's is rated it? NC seventeen. <laughs> That'd be awesome. No 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 come up with something. Okay. Uh, Black History Month. A few things real quickly. David E. Talbert presents What My Husband Doesn't Know. Starring Clifton Davis and Nesby Michelle Williams and Brian White. And that would not be the Michelle Williams that you're thinking of. This is a different Michelle Williams. Um, not the one who's nominated for uh, for an Oscar. This is the Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child. And uh, you know what? This is the kind of stuff that just we, we hate seeing released on Black History Month because all it is is just it's you know it's like a it's like a schmaltzy kind of melodramatic romance with a little bit of sizzle and it just happens to have black actors and that doesn't do anybody any good except you know kind of continue to marginalize black actors and give them this 
the you know it's like oh you can't be in films that have white people so we're just going to make these you know second rate things for you now this is based on a play and i assume the play was pretty decent but it just feels like a it feels like a second tier film and i think that's really unfortunate uh anyway david talbert wrote and directed it it's not bad it just feels like you know couldn't we give these people like better work anyway hello wade yeah a uh, PBS documentary called The Underground Railroad, The Williams Still Story. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, The Underground Railroad is sort of in, it's never really gotten its due. Well, it was never really underground. It was never a railroad. It's all symbolic. Well, that is true. But the thing is that just as a concept, the idea that, you know, black slaves would try to escape to Canada or to the north, and there was a network of you know, safe houses yeah. and whatnot that they could escape to to get themselves to the north or to Canada. It's just and, fascinating. And Harriet and, Tubman. And Harriet Tubman. It's just funny how you um, you realize that there have not been a lot of great movies made about no. the Underground Railroad. No. No really great documentaries about the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. This one is the William Still story. William Still was a, um, he was an African-American abolitionist. He was a, uh, in, in the Underground Railroad, blacks who um, helped other blacks escape to the various safe houses were called uh, conductors and so William still was one of the major conductors that's great of the Underground Railroad and this is the story of his life it's from PBS it's really well done uh, still had an amazing life um, he uh, lived to a ripe old age and into his 80s I believe and uh, this is a terrific doc- this is not a um, Ken Burns thing this is uh, directed by uh, somebody else but still it's quite well done and you should totally check it out underground railroad totally fascinating totally uh, mis not misunderstood but under understood uh time in our history and of course uh here's another one of these things that is that I would normally rip on but this is a little bit more well intentioned it's called mama i want to sing starring uh ciara along with lynn whitfield and patty labelle who patty labelle just gets more and more lovably obnoxious uh, with age. Um, this is really just a kind of a standard Hollywood backstage, uh, you know, star is born type romance, uh, melodrama, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's Ciara is very, very charming, and uh, it's got a good cast. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of a young gospel singer working her way up. We've seen this kind of thing before a million times, but this one is, um, you know, it's amiable. I uh, I still have some of the same reservations, but it's amiable, so you know probably worth checking out. Not really a Black History Month title. And then lastly, uh, I got to tell you, uh, Lynn Whitfield shows up in a lot of stuff, and here she is again in All Things Fall Apart, which is out on DVD and Blu-ray, along with Ray Liotta, who uh, I keep seeing at the market for some reason. Mario Van Peebles, who doesn't age, and Fifty Cent. Fifty Cent. Terrible. Dreadful. <laughs> it really is. You know, Fifty Cent will not rest until he has starred in every third directed DVD movie ever. But he's I not mean, a bad actor. No, I he's think better. He's, he's, no, he's a bad actor. He's, he's better talented. than I expected. Huh? Uh, well, this then is... you didn't expect much. But he, but look, I mean, at least here he's playing a. He, he plays like this college football player who's ready for the NFL, and he's you know he's of course a lousy student, and he's a womanizer. So there's like two sides to his personality. He's got to straighten it out if he's gonna you know if he's going to make it into the NFL before his life's destroyed. And I just think he's a terrible actor. But remember, you know, Mario Van Peebles directed this as well. And Mario has directed a lot of stuff straight to video, some of it, you know, uh, feature-level stuff. Posse, you know, was one of one of his more legit films. Um, Mario's got some chops, you know. He's done some, some decent films. He knows how to make movies. He, his dad was a pioneering filmmaker. So, uh, you know, anyway, uh, 50 Cent basically co-wrote this and... Um, 
I mean, come on. Came you up know, with well, the story, look, too. Whatever. I'm just saying. It's on Blu-ray and on DVD. By the way, uh, speaking, speaking of, of football. Uh, what, what happened? Undefeated. Oh, did you see it? Oh, my gosh. How what great a, is that movie? Unbelievable. It's a great doc- that, that That's like, to me, that movie is, this is a, a documentary about a high school football team. Nominated, and, for, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, in North, yeah. North Memphis. And, uh, you know, when we had gotten the uh, screener for that during our LAFCA. You just kind of ignored it. I, I ignored it. I thought, who, who, who cares? But I was yeah. asked to review it by the magazine I wait and I write for. And I watched it. And literally, it is probably 80% as good as Hoop Dreams. It's amazing. It's, it's just really a great amazing. movie. I could not believe it. So uh, it's maybe it's coming out soon in your area. By the way, can I just say, now, Wade, you don't know this. Don't know what? Uh, uh, Spanish? Um, <laughs> you don't know. Now, I was having dinner with a friend of mine the other night. Oh, oh, by the way, here's where we went for dinner. Before I tell you what I need to tell you, because Black History Month reminded me of this. Um, I went to this restaurant in Westwood, California. Now, Westwood is the town where UCLA is. It's a big college town, but and I used to go there a lot when I was a kid, although I didn't go to UCLA. And they have a new restaurant there called 800 Degrees. Wait, the restaurant is called 800 Degrees. It is a pizza joint. Okay. Here is what they do. You stand in line, and uh, you, tell, you, you tell them what type of topping you want uh, on your pizza, what kind of cheese, what kind of protein, right, what kind of doodads and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then they take a big roll of dough. Yes. Of raw dough. Yes. They they rolling pin it out. Yeah. They put the, the toppings of your choice on it, the cheese mm-hmm. you want, the protein you want, whatever else you want on it. Then they take this concoction and they put it in an 800 degree oven. So the pizza cooks in less than three minutes. And that is why it is called 800 degrees. That's pretty cool. Because they build you your pizza... And then they just, they just heat the crap out of it at 800 degrees for three minutes, and it comes out as a pizza. That's the way it works with pizza. I've been finding that out. I've been making more pizza lately. Not at 800 degrees. No, at more like 500 degrees. Thank you. Yeah. And by the way, can I, can I tell you what it's like? And, 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 and the, the UCLA kids love this place. Yeah. Because it's relatively cheap. It's high concept. It looks gourmet. But ultimately, it's at, it's, it, it's at collegiate prices. And can I tell you what happens when you eat a pizza? Uh, that was made in 800 degree oven. Yes. Can I tell you what happens? What happens? You have a lousy pizza. Really? Yes. You know why? Why? Because it's 800 degrees for three minutes, yeah. which means the crust is just soggy because the crust never gets crisp. Crisp. Then they're using a, a bad uh, pizza stone. That's all it is. It's bad stone. Pizza stone. Anyway, so the point is, is that I, I went to the restaurant with a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and uh, I was deciding where I should take my Late spring vacation. Usually I'd go to New York, see the mm. family. And then you know what she says? Mm. Jazz Fest, New Orleans. And, and you're going to New Orleans. You know, and you know what I thought? Mm. I'm going to Jazz Fest. There you go. Never been to New Orleans. Never been to Jazz Fest. I said, a light went on. I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm going to Jazz Fest. Why not? So I went. So here's, here's what I did. I went online. Yeah. Uh, the night that we talked, and I went home to check flights, mm-hmm. that was the day that Bruce Springsteen confirmed to play Jazz Fest. No kidding. The Beach Boys no are reuniting. Kidding. They reunited on the Grammys. None of them are jazz musicians, by the I way. I know. <laughs> They're reuniting uh, uh, the Beach Boys okay. to play Jazz Fest. All right. Tom Petty playing Jazz Fest. Okay. Bunch of great, and obviously there's dozens F- and dozens cent. of... Yeah, well, 50 Cent. Yes, exactly. He's, he's going to reprise his role in uh, that stupid football movie. Um 
Wow. Point being is that, so I'm going to Jazz Fest. I'm wow. very excited. Well, good. I've never been looking, to New Orleans. Looking forward to uh, your reportage. Oh, and oh, uh, you know what? And all you do when you read about Jazz Fest, all you read about, even more than the music, is the food. I'm sure. All that New Orleans food, crocodile stew and whatnot. Oh, I can't wait. So, you know, uh, Johnny Depp uh, had something of a sensation when he played Hunter S. Thompson in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the Terry Gilliam-directed film uh, that I hate with a passion. I, I don't have anything against Hunter S. Thompson, per se. I actually love Je- uh, Bill Murray's performance in Where the Buffalo Roam. Um, but, you know, Johnny Depp almost did him. It was like Johnny Depp was playing Groucho Marx playing uh, Hunter S. Thompson, and it was a, it just didn't work for me. But um, he decided to basically reprise that in The Rum Diary, which is an ad- adaptation of a Thompson novel. Uh, so he doesn't play Thompson, but he plays a the character that Thompson wrote called Paul Kemp, who basically is Thompson. So he's sort of doing the same thing all over again. And, uh, gosh, this is a horrible film. Um, it's out on Blu-ray and on DVD. They sent us the Blu-ray, which has next to nothing by way of special features. It's Even though it's BD Live enabled, it's just got some featurettes on it, and that's it. Just the EPK stuff, because they figured, why even bother? And it's not, even though it's from Sony, who normally does just crazy good uh, transfers, it's it's not the best-looking Blu-ray you've ever seen. Part of that's because it's not a terribly well-shot film, uh, which is sad. Directed by Bruce Robinson, written by Bruce Robinson... Oscar winner Bruce Robinson, who wrote The Killing Fields, Bruce Robinson. Here's to you, Bruce Robinson. I don't know. I just don't know what what happened there. But anyway, a lot of people are wasted in this film, including uh, Aaron Eckhart and uh, Giovanni Ribisi. They just, they, it's just, it's just sad. So, anyway, um, you know, it's, it, it, except in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, this is like Fear and Loathing in Puerto Rico. That's pretty much it. I don't know why he made this. It's like he had all this goodwill from Pirates of the Caribbean. And he was a big star again, and then this thing came out and just tanked, and it just took all of his renewed stardom with it. Well, well, well. Here's the here's the thing, though. The, the movie the movie came and went so fast, and did so little business that I don't think people will hold this film against him. I don't know, but he's uh, he's such a fan of Hunter S. Thompson that I'm sure that this was a personal project for him. I think the problem sure. he had was that was the director he chose. You know, he chose the director for a certain reason that I guess on paper I understand. But in the end, I don't know if he was really the guy to do it. Yeah, at I don't least know. when he did Fear and Loathing, he did he 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 hooked up with Terry Gilliam. It's just, I mean, Bruce Robinson is a, is a terrific writer, but he's done a lot of you know he's intermittently done crap, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, when he the fact that he did something like With Nail and I probably made people think, well, he could do the Rum Diary because it's it's sort of a similar kind of a thing. It's a little irreverent, you know. It's not in the Killing Fields vein, which is what I think he does the best. But you know, who knows? Anyway. Moving Wait, on. Moving yeah. on to uh, one of the biggest, it's probably the biggest Blu-ray of the week, is it? Sorry? Oh my gosh, this thing is selling gazillion copies by the, by the bunches. This is uh, the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. This is um, the um, slow and plotting and endless and sexless and bloodless and uninteresting to me. Uh, first part of the last part. Uh, like like the Harry the Potter, like the Harry Potter thing. They're doing the Harry Potter thing. They're dragging it out. Well, you know what? It's funny because like everybody made fun of the Harry Potter for doing that, but I think in the end people actually were okay with it because narratively uh neither episode, the last part 1, the last part 2, neither felt bloated. Nobody felt like it was a money grab. This to me, the Breaking Dawn split oh, that yeah. up. That's a money grab. And the funny thing is that Summit, Summit's no, Summit doesn't exist anymore. They just got sold. Yeah. You know, Summit is now, is now uh, you know, uh, you know. Uh, they're, they're now Lionsgate. They're now Lionsgate. Yeah. 
So in the end, the money grab. What did it do? Speaking, speaking and, and, of their next, their next big franchise, you know, is are the Hunger Games. That's, that is that's true. The next big franchise, uh, allegedly. And have you seen the trailer and the commercial? I have not. I've been catching hell from like all of my close friends and relatives who just love the Hunger Games. And they're so looking forward to the movie. I have not read the book or the books, uh, but I'm looking at the trailer and I'm looking at the commercial and I'm thinking that looks like crap. Like Stanley uh, Tucci's, Stanley Tucci's got like a, a a Victorian wig dyed blue. I don't get it. But apparently there's some retro. People love it. You know I what? I, I I went out with this girl. She's 35 years old. Okay, she's old enough to know what a what a real book is. She loves the Hunger Games. Loves the Hunger I know. Games. Loves I know. it. It's Everybody, I know. You know what else is out this week on Blu-ray? By the way, can we just say something? What? The uh, Twilight uh, Breaking Dawn Blu-ray looks great. Yes. It there does. you go. It was great. Uh, you know, The Ides of March is a really unfortunate film. Uh, George Clooney as a direct is a terrific director. I'm going to say that straight up. I think George Clooney is a terrific director. Um, and when he does stuff with Grant Heslov, his partner, the movies tend to be really good, even if they, I don't know, have hitches in them. You know what I mean? They've they've done stuff together where you go. Ah. Good effort doesn't quite work, but at least I admire the effort. Well, I you're, you're probably thinking of the man who stared at goats, right? Uh, that among other things. Um, I'm even thinking of the you know leathernecks or leatherheads and all that stuff. So uh, Ides of March, you're thinking, oh, George Clooney, he's a big political guy. You know, his dad was a journalist. He's really into politics, and you know he'll really knock this out of the park. And winds up being basically a totally predictable and conventional political thriller. I mean, it's. It is exactly what you would expect it to be. It, you know, There's it, no surprise in it. it. It's almost like a new generation doesn't realize that that Robert Redford starred in The Candidate. <laughs> right, exactly. And they need their own little the yeah. candidate. But yeah. the thing is that, you know, it's just, you know, back when The Candidate was released, I don't know yeah. when it was, 72 or something like that, yeah. it was such a different world that you could really capture people's imaginations. And that, get was, the, that had more of a comedic edge to it. That had a little bit more mash. There was a dash of mash in it. Which I think that which I think that the kids of that time yeah. would respond to. Yeah. But again, but but movies were so much part of the cultural conversation that that something like the candidate could really get a lot of attention. Yeah. And people could really start talking about it. Nowadays, the Ides of March comes, and yes, it's George Clooney, but it's a different world. It's it's, it's 157 yeah. channels, and you're tweeting and Facebooking, and a movie like this, which maybe could have started a dialogue, never did. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, it's because what's really going on in politics dwarfs what this movie thinks is sensational. Anyway, Clooney plays the candidate, the guy who's going to, you know, try to be the the next president. And of course, uh, Ryan Gosling is the uh, the idealistic aide whose idealism winds up getting challenged by the ugly realities of politics, as if he didn't know what he was getting into. And it's really not that. It's not like you know Clooney's the the Manchurian candidate or anything. I mean, it really just comes down to the to, to something. It comes down to sex and power. That's I mean, it. That's it. But you know what? Look, yes, it comes down to sex and power. But in the end, what is pol? I mean, what what are the things about politics that get filmmakers going? The 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 power. Yeah. And the corruption that that power. Here's why. Enables. I'm gonna, here's why. Despite all that, I'm going to recommend this Blu-ray because it's got a commentary with Clooney and Heslov that is outstanding. I can listen to George Clooney uh, talk about anything for hours and hours. I mean, he is bright, he is smart, he is uh, insightful, and it's terrific. Uh, better than the movie, actually. And then you got a couple of exclusives on the Blu-ray. 
called uh, Developing the Campaign, The Origins of the Ides of March, which is so-so, and a featurette called What Does a Political Consultant Do, which is quite good. So, uh, And you know what? Marissa Tomei is in it, and I just can't, you know, in, in this all-star cast, I could write off anybody, including Paul Giamatti and Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I, I can't write off uh, Marissa Tomei. Can't do it. Because you like her. I love her. I just think the movie, you know, it's true. You know, when I think about the movie, you know, you, what it's missing is it's missing that, like, weightiness that sense of gravity that like wow you're seeing yeah you're seeing like i a, agree a, a take on politics that is totally singular uh another take that's not so singular is the rebound the rebound is from yeah. 2009 it is getting uh crapped out by the good people at uh fox and it stars um Catherine zeta jones and justin bartha now justin bartha you know from uh the hangover films Catherine zeta jones you know because she's having sex with her own father <laughs> and when I say that, I mean a man old enough to be her father, uh, Michael Douglas. Um, now, the movie was directed by Bart uh, Freundlich, whatever, how, how, how you pronounce that guy's last name? Freundlich. Freundlich, who is married to Julianne Moore. And this movie's terrible. And um, in the film, uh, Zeta Jones plays a single mom, and her new neighbor is a handsome young man played by Justin Bartha. And this thing was made in 2009, and it never got a theatrical that I know of. And it uh, barely got a. DVD. I mean, they 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 certainly crapped out a okay looking Blu-ray. The film was certainly not excitingly shot. Um, yeah, so it's just not it's not great. It's Valentine's Day. If you've seen every Valentine's film out there, sure, go with the rebound. But you'll hate yourself in the morning. You know, uh, when we reviewed the Human Centipede, we were very upfront about the fact that we hadn't seen it, and nor were we going to see it. There are just some places that we draw the line. And um, the Human Centipede two full sequence. I think we draw the line there as well. Yeah, I didn't see that. Not no, interested. Life's not, too short. Not the least bit interested. Uh, refuse to see it. But you know the plot. Uh, they sent us the Blu-ray, and I just I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to even think of it. The whole thing here is that some idiot is inspired by the original film to go and do something exactly the same, just as gruesome. There's a great idea. So he uh, he wants to do a twelfth person Human Centipede this time. And uh, honestly, it just give me a break. Um, the, the the cover of this thing says one hundred percent medically inaccurate. Like the previous film was one hundred percent medically accurate. This one is one hundred percent medically inaccurate. So, what, is that cute? Is it like a- well, because because it's going to get kids thinking, oh my god, they they're no longer constrained by the. Uh- by the me- by, medical realities, they uh-huh. can do whatever. They can make it as disgusting as they want. Yeah. Okay. Right. Tom Six. Bravo. Nice. Ni- nice work. Try. Try. Na- what, what is Tom Six going to make human centipede movies now? Forever? Is that their deal? Fine. You know what? Look. It, look. At least if he does that, we know where he is. Yeah. He's Fine. not hurting whatever. children or the elderly. Boo. Boo. I agree. You know what? Life's too short for that crap. I just don't get it. Uh, you know what I actually really like? Tiny Furniture. I like uh, it too. Lena Dunham won the uh, our LA Film Critics uh, 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 New Generation Award. That's right. For of course, Tiny Furniture that, last she's done year. Nothing. You know what? Give her give her a chance. She <laughs> she will. She will. Um, she's incredibly talented. Really sweet. And uh, here's what I love about this film: she shot this film on a uh, Canon 7D, exactly like the one that I have. So I'm thinking, what's my excuse? Um, anyway, it is. Uh, this was made last year. It is now out, believe it or not, from Criterion. 
And bravo, Criterion. Yes. I mean, this is this is a terrific pickup for Criterion. I love it when they kind of go off the grid a little bit and grab these little these cool little indies and say, you know what, this deserves the Criterion stamp of approval. Like Armageddon. Uh, never mind. Or The Rock. Never mind. Do you, do you remember when Criterion know, did the, they, they, they had that, that brief def- money grab moment? <laughs> that was their that well that was their Disney deal. Yeah. That's because Michael Bay wanted to sort of you know anoint himself some kind of a, an action film auteur, and then he realized he didn't really need that. You realize that uh, that you the studio Transformers uh, on Criterion. You realize that the studio Greenland Transformers Four today. I know. With Michael Bay scheduled to direct, it's fantastic. I know. Yeah, it's great. I can't wait. Yeah, totally. Seriously, Abraham Lincoln Vampire. Awesome. Connor, are you oh, come me? on, it's awesome. Oh my god! How gosh. dare you? It's funny. Bloody hell. Anyway, Tiny Furniture is great. It's a very, it's a very, you know, she, she's, by the way, she, you know, she works with almost her entire family. The actors in the mm-hmm. film are all like her family. Yeah. I think the woman who plays her mother is her mother. Yeah, I know. It's great. And it's great stuff, but it's very, you know, it's very funny. It's very affecting. It's got a very interesting, delicate tone. It has, it has a, it has a sort of, it's all, it, like if Woody Allen were a woman is sort of how a lot of people have uh, analyzed it. And I think that's uh, legitimate. Uh, there's a couple of great things on here. There is a, um, uh, an interview that she does with Nora Ephron, which is, in a strange way, very appropriate. And then there's an interview with uh, Paul Schrader, which is completely weird and unexpected. And uh, then there's this thing here called Creative Nonfiction, which was actually Dunham's first film, which I had never heard of and never seen. And it's pretty good. And then uh, four short films that she had done that originally aired on uh, YouTube, which is kind of where she plied her trade, which is, you know, she's kind of like the first YouTube generation filmmaker, which is fascinating to me. So bravo, Lena Dunham. Looking forward to your next film, and I'm so thrilled that you were you received the Criterion stamp of approval. And I want to say this. The 7D um, transferred to Blu-ray, looking awfully damn good. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go play with that camera some more. You should. That, I'm, I'm loving that camera. There was actually an, an interesting article in uh, American Cinematographer magazine about how how um, filmmakers who are embra- embracing digital don't realize that when it comes to archiving their digital, it's going to be very difficult. Like movie, like films are archived on film. Yes. And films do not, at least not anymore, no. they don't just go up in flames. No. Like they used to. No. Whereas if you want to archive your film on digital, you realize that in 15 years, whatever digital format you archived your film on, it will be obsolete. True. They won't make any of those anymore. What it, whatever it is, they w- they won't make them anymore. So people have filmmakers, especially independent filmmakers who don't have the money to really think about these things. Yep. They have to be very careful as, as to what format they use and how they very true. archive their films. This is for future releases and future generations and very true. Library of Congress. If you get so lucky, that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, you can't just put your film on a hard drive and think that in a in hundred years they'll be able to take that hard drive and crank out some prints for you. Because it's possible that a magnetic storm will pass through and degauss all of recorded history, except the Transformer films. That's a reference, actually, to uh, the Spirit of '76, one of my favorite all-time cult films. Thank you very much. I thought that was a reference to uh, Escape no. from L.A. No, where at the end Snake Plissken makes uh, nope. uh, all electricity go away. Nope, it's a reference to uh, Spirit of '76, which uh, Sofia Coppola did the costumes for, by the way. Okay, um, we're going to go from the ridiculous to the sublime. I'm going to start off with the ridiculous, and uh, we got four more titles before we jump into some uh, listener mail and all that jazz. Um, you know what? This has to be my favorite title of any movie ever, ever created. I don't care that it's just a stupid, ridiculous movie. Uh, the title alone is worth a rental. 
Nude nuns with big guns. Come on, Mark, give it up. Does it get any better than that? Yeah, so you like that, but you don't like uh, Abraham the, Lincoln this, vampire. This lens is, no, because that's, that's not ridiculous enough. This is uh, nude nuns with big guns. Give me a break. Uh, this sister is one bad mother. There's one tagline. And then on the other one, she's got a bad habit. Come on. I mean, the, the taglines never end. It's great. It's brilliant. Hack. It, Hack not really. It's <laughs> a really stupid film. Um, it's, it is exactly what it, uh, what it purports to be. And uh, it's, you know, sort of, I don't know. It's like I spit on your grave, crossed with Death Wish, crossed with uh, the Mother Teresa story. There you go. How do you, how do you top that? This would have been a horrible film in 1968. That's a horrible it, film now. It's a horrible film now. But it's, uh, you know, with the title like that, you got to ch- <laughs> check it out. It's got a few funny moments, it, but otherwise it's a little too self-consciously silly. Oh, Wade. Yeah, I know. Oh, Wade. Now, here's the thing, Wade. Let me tell you a story. Um, when I vote for my year-end awards at the LA Film Critics, mm-hmm. um, you know, the big one is Best Picture. That's the one everyone wants to know. You know, no one cares. They they care less about animation or actor or cinematographer. Best picture is the big one. Thing is that every time I vote for best picture, uh, it never wins. I know. And I'll tell you why it doesn't. I win. feel sorry for I'll, you. No, no, you know. I'll tell you why it doesn't win. Because hmm. I have a very strange criteria for uh, what I name my best picture of the year. My best picture of the year every year is always the film that I responded to the strongest. Emotionally, yes, right. Whether it's just force of filmmaking, force of storytelling, force of whatever it is, it's the film that when it was over, for whatever reason, my jaw dropped. Doesn't matter what it, what for what, what the criteria is. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like, for instance, I was the only one to give the give my best picture vote to Children of Men. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. Yeah, that's why I was the only one to give uh, best picture to uh, 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 Simple Man. Whose name I got wrong last week. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a simple man. I know. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, he's better be a simple man. I'd be in big trouble. Um, and uh, is it a simple man? No. What is it? A serious man. Oh, a serious man. I was waiting for you to catch yourself again, but God you did the same mistake again. damn it. <laughs> I gave that my best picture because I just thought that movie was amazing. Anyway, okay. Oh, uh, uh, gosh. the worst. Yeah, it's too it was funny. Like to be you, keep going, you keep going back to simple man. It's, it's a simple <laughs> plan. You're mixing up a simple plan with a serious man, and you get a simple man. That's what it is. Which, by the way, Billy Bob Thornton should have won an Oscar for that. He was nominated. Yeah. Anyway, this year, uh, my best picture was Take Shelter, which is out this week on uh, The Blue and the Ray. I thought this film was absolutely unbelievably good. Jeff Nichols wrote and directed this film and is... Such is, a talent. He is so talented. He is very, very talented. And Michael Shannon is so perfectly cast. And the reason Michael Shannon is perfectly cast is because, and we've talked about this before, is that in the film he plays this uh, Midwestern husband and father living a decent life. Uh, his uh, daughter is uh, deaf and they're hoping to afford an operation to uh, restore her hearing. And the mother, played by Jessica Chastain, is... Who plays every Midwestern mother in, uh, in the last year. And she's very good at it. Um, Michael Shannon's character starts having these visions. Apocalyptic These apocalyptic dreams, yeah. visions. And, and st- dreams. And dreams. And dreams. There's yeah. a storm approaching. And... Literally and figuratively. Well, you don't know. Kind and of. What you Jeff, feel that. What Jeff Nichols does, which is so great, is that he keeps you on your edge. He keeps you on edge a couple of ways. One is... You don't know whether he really do, do, he really is seeing something apocalyptic, like something really is coming, mm-hmm. or it's just some sort of manifestation of his anxiety. And on top of that, 
he doesn't just use that as his high concept you know, hook and then that's, he doesn't care about the characters. Oh, he cares about the characters. This family is a real family. And when Michael Shannon totally freaks out and starts building a bomb shelter in his backyard to protect his family from this storm that he thinks is coming, uh, there's all sorts of ramifications to the family. And uh, I think the film is just magnificent. It's got an, it's got, it, the ending blew me away. It is just, it is all about, it, it is a very modern story of modern anxiety, and it's a great psychological drama, and there, it, it, there is so much tension and such great filmmaking in it. I just loved, loved Take Shelter. And uh, it's got some terrific uh, special features. Deleted scenes, which I kind of didn't want to watch, because I feel like the movie, I feel like the movie is what it is on its own. I kind of didn't want to watch the deleted scenes, but... The commentary with Jeff Nichols and Mike Shannon is pretty good. Great. Michael Shannon Great. is not the, the most talkative guy, but he's very insightful. He's a good actor. Uh, should have been nominated this year. I don't know why he wasn't. And uh, behind the scenes. So Take Shelter on Blu-ray, which looks uh, very good, considering it's you know it's kind of a low-medium budget film. Yeah. Uh, could not recommend it highly enough. Take Shelter. Wade you know, hated it. Wade hated it. I love this movie. It's, I'm, I don't love it as much as you do, but I love it a lot. Uh, Restless was Gus Van Sant's very kind of um, tepid film this last year. It was at Cannes. It was at Toronto. It got decent reviews, but nobody kind of went nuts for it. Everyone kind of expects huge things from Gus Van Sant. And even when he makes a little film, it's an interesting film. Now, as a quirky uh, youth coming-of-age oddball romance, I don't think this is as good as Submarine. I think Submarine is just amazing. I love Submarine. But it's a little bit in the same vein. And uh, Mia Wasikowska, whose name is not pronounced, like Mia Wasikowska, but I don't speak Polish, okay, people? So I don't know how, you know, it's like Mia Wasikowska. Who, who, who is complaining that you're pronouncing it oh, wrong? It, 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 Everybody pronounces it Wasikowska. Never mind. We have, we have some colleagues who are a little bit anal about pronunciation of... Oh, Bob uh, Kohler? No. Really? No, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you after the show. How would Bobby know who she is? But Mia Wasikowska does not star in four-hour documentaries yeah. about uh, Ukrainian anyway, uh, anyway, that, sheep, sheep herding. But uh, Mia Wasikowska and uh, this newcomer, Henry Hopper, star in this, and they're lovely. Uh, this is, you know, one of those rare incidents of late. There was something was produced by Brian Grazer and Ron Howard, and I didn't hate it. And Bryce Dallas Howard also threw herself in there as a producer. I'm not quite sure why. I think maybe she discovered the script or something. But uh, anyway, it's a decent little film. It's not uh, Gus Van Sant's best, but it's perfectly amiable, very nicely shot, and uh, a real solid Blu-ray. Probably more of a rental than a buy than anything else, but uh, you get a few extras on here. There's uh, some deleted scenes and a bunch of featurettes and a thing called Gus Van Sant's silent version of Restless, which is like, huh? What? Never mind. And before we get on to our uh, listener mail stuff, I want to make mention of Five Star Day, which is uh, out Dud. from Breaking Glass. You know, I had to talk about Five Star Day on the radio. And this is such an odd film. Uh, it really is. Did, did, you, did you watch Five Star Day? I did. It's a dud. It's on uh, Blu-ray and on DVD. It's a it's a pretty it, it's a pretty decent Blu-ray uh, for a film that would that was next to nothing to make. But here's the thing that it's about. It's about a guy who sets out to kind of with an existential mission to disprove astrology, and it it consists of finding people who were all born at the same time, the same time, in exact same place as he. One of whom is Jenna Malone. 
and it's to demonstrate that even though they should all have the same astrological sign, their lives are all so different that there's no possible way that they could ever even be under the same sign, right? This, this is part of, this is how his gigantic existential proof is going to take place. And of course, it winds up, you know, that, that there are these human connections and it, it winds up having a very, very poignant direction. But it's so odd. Um, and I don't know if it's odd good or odd bad. but It's, it's odd bad. It's just, it's like, I, I'm still kind of trying to make sense of what the movie was really trying to do. It's, that, well, that's the problem with the movie. It doesn't really have a whole lot of depth. It's it, a very, you know, it has this cute gimmick, which kind of sends you into a romantic comedy direction. Yeah, a little bit. But I think it tries to be something a little bit different about, you know, I don't know what it's about. But I, it's, I, it's not, it, it, you know what, it just, uh, it, it just can't transcend the gimmick. Is I the think problem. it has, aspir- I think it has philosophical aspirations that movies aren't terribly good at wrapping their arms around unless they're directed by Terrence Malick. That is true. You know, and then unless you have a substantial budget. But it does star that kid, uh, Cam, uh, what's his name, Giganday Giga- or something? <laughs> Giganday. Gigande. Yeah, Cam Gigande, who's, who's a good-looking guy. I mean, he's got a you know he's got a real future. I think if he gets the right parts, you know, he's got a good look. He's got a good kind of. He could be like the guy in the vow. Uh, what's his name? Channing, T- Channing Tatum. Tatum. He's got that kind of a thing going a little bit. I was really into the Channing Tatum thing. I felt he'd just be another dumb jock idiot actor. But you know what? Yeah. He, he's he's done two Soderbergh films. I know. So right? I'm hoping he's learning well, to be we'll an see. actor, but working with Soderbergh, and then there might be hope for him. All right, Mark, the time has come. We got a bunch of submissions as to what we should call our audio our audio mail segment. Yes. We thought long and hard over this one, Wade. Now, don't give people the uh, the options. Don't may- give people the options? Well, maybe they'll disagree with us. Okay. Well, we, or, we... or you give them, all the, give them all the options, and the last one okay. is the one that we have chosen. Okay. All right. Well, let me go here. Uh, Nicholas Gordon set in and uh, thought of uh, Cinema Chat. We weren't. We didn't. We did. We like. We like Nicholas. We didn't go with Cinema Chat. Um, we also got one from Brian Swagle, who suggested a Voice of the Digi People, uh, because we are the Digi People and you are the Digi Gods. Thank you very much for um, that. Yeah, uh, Carl Gagnon said voiceover, which was cute. That's cute. That's voiceover. And um, Mario Mendez suggested audio tracks, sound off, or digibytes. Digibytes was interesting. Uh, Lenny Timmons came uh, kind of closer to some of our sentiments. He suggested uh, Sonic Sentiments, The Voice Box, Contributed Commentary, Listening to the Listeners, and We Hear You. And then uh, Eric Altieri, longtime listener, said uh, Voicemail, Audio Prayers, Talkies. Interesting. All very good, by the way. All very good. But there, there is one amongst equals. Well, let's hang on just a second. Let, let's just let's just confab on this just for a second. Okay, we we've con, uh, confabbed enough. Uh, we are going to go with a recommendation from Tav Rainey, who suggested Voxbox. That's it, Voxbox. We, like, we like it, Voxbox. It's it's short. It's easy for us to remember and, and pronounce, and and you know we need something that's easy to remember because uh, we're stupid. We're really we're, we're kind of dense, and we're getting older. You know, we're uh, we're we're starting. You're getting older. <laughs> we're having memory lapses. We really uh, are you know, like, like 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 simple man. Oh yeah. my goodness. No, it's even worse than that. You had let me. You had let me a screener. <laughs> you wanted me to give you the screener back, because you had gotten the screener from the distributor. Yes. So there's a little bit of responsibility yes. to. You lend it, you're lending it to me. 
you're trusting me with it. The distributor is trusting you with it. You've now lent it to me. I, of course, feel a responsibility to not lose it. So I throw it in my car, and I figure there, my car, it will stay mm-hmm. uh, until the next time I see Wade. Yes. Well, last week, you we were going to meet briefly uh, to give you this yes. DVD. So I go to my car, turn on the ignition. Mm. I drive out the garage. Mm. I'm on my way to Century City, where we were going to meet. And I realize that before I really go to Century City... I should make sure I have the DVD because I'm not sure. You know, sometimes you know DVDs get lost under the seats or under you know the, the the carpet in the car or wherever the you know in the trunk of the car. I I just I just pull it out because I know it's in my car because the thing's been in my car for three weeks already. Well, let me tell you something: the DVD not in my car, not in your car. I yeah. turned my car over. Senile old man. In fact, my Lexus is now just a regular Toyota because I pulled <laughs> out the seats, the carpeting. I went, I, I went into a complete and utter tailspin, not only of, uh, of, of, of early onset Alzheimer's, but of like guilt that I had lost it. And of course, I'm it was, like... It was uh, here the whole time. The whole time. It was in my yeah. condo. Well, without further ado, old man, senile old man, uh, here now is this week's edition of Voxbox. Hi, Mark and Wade. This is Chevelle Dixon, and I have two questions. The first, now that Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance is fast approaching, do you think that Nicolas Cage can ever make a good movie again? Because he hasn't made a good movie. I think Six Kick-Ass, and that was more supporting role. Is it possible that this year could be his year? And the second question is, what movie are you most excited for? I'm most excited for The Dark Knight Rises, Amazing Spider-Man, Prometheus. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Those are two very good questions. Yes, they are. Thank you, Chevelle. And by the way, uh, for Corey's benefit, Chevelle is a man. Cool name. Uh, anyway, okay, we will tackle each of your questions. Number one, uh, will 2012 be the, be the year of a resurgent Nicolas Cage? I think I can say without fear of... Uh, of contradiction or hyperbole that uh, it will not. No, not be, a chance. It's not over. Not a chance. It's over. I, I mean, look. I, I, Ghost Rider 2 is not even screening for critics. No. That's how bad it, it is. It, Nick, Nick makes crap these days, and he takes the paychecks. And, uh, he needs I, the paycheck. He's, he's in he's, huge tax trouble. I know. He's in, he's, in real, he's in real financial mess. Uh, I, the problem with Nick Cage is that he, he just cashed in at a certain point, and now he's not taken seriously anymore by anybody. He's not on anyone's A-list for, for major roles. He's, he's on kind of the B-list for stuff like uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice and, you know, crap like that. And he, uh, he, he just, he's not, you know, the, was it The Wicker Man he was in that too? And, well, The Wicker Man, that was the one that really cemented yeah, his reputation. Just, the last film Cage did that I genuinely... Was Kick-Ass. No. Oh, uh, yes. Well, but, but like, uh, but like Chevelle said, that was a supporting part. That's you know? true. Yeah. But the last film he top-lined that I truly enjoyed was The Weatherman. Yeah. Which uh, was directed by Gore Verbinski, and I like Gore Verbinski yeah, a lot. I, agree. I, I, I pretty I much agree. almost like, although I, I, ironically, I'm not a fan of the. That was films. the last real, real part. Look, he can he can always. I like that film. This won't be his comeback year. I think eventually he'll get a comeback year when the right part just happens his way, kind of like how Tarantino gave John Travolta, you know, a second uh, surge at, at you know reinventing himself with Pulp Fiction. He could get something like that, but it'll be a while. He, he that's right. He either needs to do a cult thing that makes him cool again or yep. 
he needs to embrace his age. Yeah, I agree. And play the dad in the drama. As for the the, the films that we're looking forward to the most, you know, I, I got to see Prometheus is up there for me. Dark Knight Rises is up there. But those are the obvious ones. Everybody, you know, is going to name those. Um, there are some uh, some potentially interesting foreign films. I don't know if they're going to get released. Um, foreign schmorin. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. There doesn't, you know, I, I'm as curious about the Avengers as anybody else, but I can't say that I'm really excited about it. I don't know. That there's, there's, there's nothing really this year that there aren't any sort of unexpected little films that I'm really just all abuzz about. I have to tell you, I was <clears throat> I was not on the uh, Prometheus bandwagon until I saw that trailer. They, yeah, I agree. Now I'm way on that bandwagon. Yeah, I'm on I that agree. bandwagon big time. I am too. I'm, I'm very much on the um, uh, Dark Knight Rises bandwagon. Spider-Man bandwagon, I no, guess, gets a B. So Avengers, not really. The Hobbit, I was not a Hobbit guy. Um, the, you know, you're hoping the James Bond film is a return to form for James Bond. That'd be nice. Um, coming out later, later in the year, I am very curious about The Great Gatsby, the Baz Luhrmann film. Not in the least. It's gonna really? stink. It's gonna stink. You think? Yeah, it's gonna be awful. Don't say that. I just know. Why are you so mean? No, I, I mean there. Are, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see what little. Or how about this? Here's what? here's what. Okay, I have the movie that you are waiting the most for this year. Tell me, the dictator, the Sasha Baron Cohen thing. I'm I am looking forward to it. It's going to be funny, but usually I I have to wait until the Cannes Film Festival to see what creeps out there. I mean, Cannes usually, and we're you know two months away from Cannes now, or three months away. That's where you know suddenly everything kind of explodes onto the uh, onto the radar. So okay. that's what I'm really looking forward to. I have another film. Here's what you're looking for. Yeah, more. tell me. Taken two. Oh yeah, big time. Are you kidding me? I really? love Taken. Yeah, Taken's great, Taken's but you're going to do it again. Taken two, okay. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, you Lincoln. Go. You're not looking forward to Lincoln. Neither am I. No, not in the least. Nor am I looking forward to, to Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Awesome. Forget no, here's stupid. what you, here's what you are looking forward to. No, yeah. You ready? Yeah. World War Z. Brad Pitt. World War Z, zombie madness gets yeah, on. Not so, not so much. Okay, here's okay. This is it. This is the last movie that you are looking yeah. forward to that no. you don't even know yet. Okay. The Django Unchained, Tarantino, do it. Maybe. Ah, maybe. Look at that. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, real quickly, a couple of. Uh, Why is Django? Is 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 uh, Django on uh, Blu-ray? What the original Django yeah. films? Is it? The, the, like well, with the, what's his name, the handsome guy who's still handsome to this day. Some of them are, yeah. Uh, 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 what's it? Uh, Vanessa Redgrave squeeze. Oh. Franco Nero. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them are. Some of them are. But no, I but mean the original. The original Django. No, no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. No. And on the more conventional listener mail front, um, Peter Kozoriz, Kozoriz, Kozoriz. I always mispronounce his name. He says regarding Mark's rant about how retarded the iconic time space and uh, times the iconic time machine and spacecraft from Doctor Who is named the TARDIS is actually an acronym for time and relative dimension in space, and one needs to hear a Brit pronounce it as the R sounds somewhat silent. Check out the Wikipedia article for more information, Peter from Toronto. And he says, by the way, Doctor Who celebrates its 50th anniversary next year. I'm 30 and I already feel old. And um, I uh, emailed him back. Uh, Rather silly little joke that I won't read on the air or on the show. And then uh, also had one from Ben Thompson who says, I watched, recently watched Kill Bill again. Loved it even more than the first time I saw it. I do think that it would work better as one longer epic with better pa- pacing than the current volumes. I've been holding out on Blue for the whole bloody affair. 
Uh, but with Tarantino on to his next film, I don't know when that might happen. What are your thoughts on this elusive set? Um, and are you even fans of the movie? I, I, you know, Mark, I forget how we stand on this. I actually love Kill Bill Part 1, and I can't stand Kill Bill Part 2. I think the first one is a great action thing, and the second one just is larded out with all that endless dialogue, and it bores me stiff. I would still love to see some sort of director's cut. I would too. I would too. And it's some big five hour extravaganza. It's supposed to be coming, but he's been, you know, between Inglorious Bastards and Django, he's he's now just completely. He's got other things to worry about. He's got way, way other things to worry about. So I I think we're probably at least a year away. Who knows? I mean, we'll see. You know, it's anybody's guess. Okay, we got a few minutes left. So let's go through some uh, some old movies, some classics. Mark, I know you're a big fan of this because you um, <laughs> y- when we when I pulled all this stuff out, you said to me, "You go, Monsignor, is that the Christopher Reeves Monsignor?" So yes. like 1982. This is yeah. like this is what's what what what's this is like a it's like the somewhere in time era. It was it was it was when he was sort of trying to trade off of Superman without repeating Superman and do more serious roles. And uh, he made this movie called Monsignor, which is kind of a schmaltzy quasi romance about a you know a, a priest who used like to be seduces a, a nun. Yeah, he was a soldier. He was an American soldier, and then he becomes a priest and goes to Rome and. You know, he winds up uh, seducing Jean-Vierre Bujold, who's going to become a nun. And uh, look, I love Jean-Vierre Bujold. I, I absolutely adore her. I think she's wonderful. Even now that she's kind of reaching her twilight year, she's still beautiful. And uh, Shout Factory went and dug this up and said to 20th Century Fox, why don't you let us release this? Because you're obviously not doing anything with it. And uh, you know what? Look, it's not a great transfer, but it deserves to be out there. Monsignor is a forgotten film that, uh, that it really is. <laughs> I, okay, I have one thing to say to you. Yes. This movie was directed by Frank Perry. Yes. Now, the movie Who's that... a good director. The movie that Perry directed before Monsignor. Yes. One year before. Yes. In 1981. Yes. Mommy Dearest. There you go. That's all you need to know. I know. He directed he, Mommy Dearest. But before Mommy Dearest, he had a decent career going. And uh, the other thing about this is that it's got a great score from John Williams. A very yes. unheralded John Williams score. And you know, Harold's a friend of mine. Thank you. And then I don't want the show to end without putting a huge plug out there for the, you know, we talked about Wings that finally made it to uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Well, the year after Wings won Best Picture, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front won Best Picture, the first sound film, the first all-sound film to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That is out now out in a 100th anniversary collector's series, the Universal 100th collector's an- uh, series, All Quiet on the Western Front, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo. Um, now, this 100th anniversary Universal Collector Series line is uh, it's, it's inconsistent. There's a lot of junk that they're releasing, but they're also doing a, a really great job with some of their classics. And this is one of those Blu-ray book deals that uh, Warner Brothers kind of pioneered, and boy, they really did a number on this. It is, uh, it is absolutely gorgeous. There's a, uh, an amazing um, bunch of extras on here uh, on restoring classic films and uh, you know Universal uh, Award winners. And I'll tell you, the Blu-ray transfer of this is just dazzling. It is really, really gorgeous. And the 40-page booklet is not fluff. There's really important stuff there. So, um, you know, I would say definitely, definitely get this. This has to have a place on everybody's uh, Blu-ray shelf for sure. All Quiet on the Western Front, the must-get film this week. And the other must-get for uh, big movie fans, classic movie fans, is the original William Wellman, A Star is Born. 
Speaking um, of Wings. Yeah, speaking of, uh, of the director of Wings, uh, William Wellman went on to do uh, the original Star is Born, starring Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, which actually is a film that uh, the artist references rather extensively. The story in The Artist is, is in many respects a kind of a wink and a nod to A Star is Born. And this has been remade twice, as we know of, again, with Judy Garland, then with Barbara Streisand in a wretched version in the 1970s. But uh, the original Janet Gaynor version is terrific. It is now out on Blu-ray from Kino. And, oh, my gosh, what a gorgeous Blu-ray this is. What a spectacular Blu-ray this is. That absolutely dazzling cinematography, that beautiful, beautiful black, cinema, uh, black and white cinematography by uh, w. w. Howard Green, is just it's just tailor-made for uh, the transfer that Kino does here, which is you know the same level of quality that they did for all of the Keaton stuff that they've released to Blu-ray lately. So uh, you just you gotta love this. Not a lot of extras. Uh, there's a trailer and a wardrobe test and then some stills. But uh, this this was just an unbelievably great piece of cinematography in the late 30s. It just demonstrated how incredibly advanced cinematography had gotten from you know the days when uh, sound came in. Just in 10 years, it really, really took a leap. And this uh, this Blu-ray finally restores that because I think most people have never seen A Star Is Born as it's meant to be seen. So next to seeing a pristine print projected, this is the way you got to see it. So that is this fabulous Blu-ray of Star Is Born from Kino, also available on DVD. But the Blu-ray is the way Way to go. And uh, with that, Mark, I think we're done. Are we done? Oh, we're done. That's it? Yeah, we're An done. An hour already? An hour already. See you Maybe. next week.
and very disappointing way. We had no audio questions. Nobody sent us an audio question. This no, week, guys, we get to the program. We love your audio questions. Gods at digigods.com. Record it, send it. We'll play it on the show. And we'll even answer it. 